0: You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin.
1: It just started. You can
0: get beautiful
2: Pella windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now,
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Lots of ground to cover. Let us get right to it. This is a story that caught my attention, and I've got a link to the video up. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 I will describe and I'll play the audio in just a moment because I want to get your reaction to this story. Now, let me back up. Think about the weekend and think about Saturday in particular. You know, Friday during the day, it rained really hard. and Noah gets ready to build a boat and all that sort of stuff. And then the rain kind of lifted and Friday night was OK. Saturday. Now, I think this is pretty much true all throughout the, the metropolitan area. But I, I played golf Saturday morning, and the temperature where I played, which was in the North Shore, was, was around, it was in the, the low 60s. You never saw the sun. I mean, the, the sun didn't come out. It was cloudy. It was overcast. It was one of those days, like on a golf course, it's kind of annoying because you take your jacket on, you put your jacket off. It But it, it was not... It was not an abnormally warm July day. We're going to have some, like, really intense heat coming up, I think, going into this week. But on Saturday, at least in most places, it it was – I'm not going to say it was cold. I'm not even sure to say that chilly was the word. But it it was in the low 60s, and it was kind of dreary, and it was kind of overcast. And I think that's how it was throughout most of the area. All right, so what happens is – there, there's a, a Myers out in, in Waukesha, you know, one of the grocery stores. And the story, and I'm going to play the audio on this in just a minute, but there is a car that's parked around noon. So again, it's, it's overcast in, the, in there. There's a car that's parked in the Myers parking lot. And there is a guy that walks by the Myers parking lot and notices that there is a dog. That is in the front seat of an SUV. Now, the driver's side window of the SUV is cracked. I would say about two inches. I mean, it's not just cracked a little, but it's down, cracked about two inches. And there is a little dog. It, I, I call it a Sasha dog. It, the dog looks almost exactly like my my dog. You know, a Pomeranian. My dog is like six and a half pounds, and, and she's orange. And this is this is like. That dog. It it could very well be my dog. Now, maybe it's a terrier or something, but it really looks like a Pomeranian, like like my dog. So, guy walks by the car and sees the dog is there. The window is cracked, and the dog is kind of barking at him because... It's like my dog, my dog will bark at other people. You know, my dog is perfectly happy to be at home during the day. But if you ring the doorbell, for example, she's going to go bat crap crazy and run and she's going to bark and she will continue barking. If, you know, if, if, if you stay on the porch, she will continue barking till you leave. That's just the way the dog is. So anyhow, the guy sees this little dog in the car and apparently puts the, starts looking at his watch. And after about 20 minutes, the the owner has not come out of of the mire, so the guy calls the police, calls the cops, and Waukesha police officer shows up, and the guy is saying that the dog is in distress. I was ready if you didn't get here, and then in a couple minutes, I was going to kick in the window myself and save this dog. Now, if you look at the video of this, the dog, dog's jumping around, the dog's barking, but he's kind of barking at all the people standing. He or she is barking at all the people standing around the car. The dog looks like energetic and whatever. It's not like the dog is lethargic. It's not like the dog appears to be panting. The dog is just kind of barking at the people that are outside the car. So the cop shows up. All right. At this point in time, the passerby who is called the police, we're going to call him Chad. Don't know what his name is, but we'll call him Chad. He then decides he's going to film the police officer and and the dog. So this is the audio from the conf- conversation that Chad is having with the the police officer as they're looking at the dog in the car.
2: your this is Officer Lichty. Officer Lichty, yes, sir. Uh, from Waukesha Police Department, he is refusing to help this animal that's in distress. They're saying it's not too hard out. The windows open. 67, degrees, 67 out. degrees out. But this dog has been in here for well over a half hour. Um, you know, this is this is terrible. Um, this person right here, whoever owns this vehicle, and I will run the plate when I get to work. You can see. This is not right they won 't do anything about it
1: and that in, that kind of ends the the video right right there and he 's now on the clip i have they 've the uh, Waukesha alerts, which is where this was posted they 've taken out the the license plate, so you can 't tell exactly who this is, but the guy he has called the cops and he is demanding that the police officer essentially break the windows and remove the the dog because he claims it's terrible, the dog's in distress, he won't do anything. Now again, if you watch the video, the the dog is dog's bouncing around and, and the dog is the dog is clearly barking mostly he or she is barking at the guy as he 's walking around the car with his film with his phone you know filming all this stuff all right our number That six one six twenty that is the acuant mortgage talk and text line all right who's right in this particular situation? the police officer or the guy we will call chad who has determined on his own that this dog is in distress, that you need to break the window and free the dog and presumably, I don't know, arrest the owner of the dog when they come out of the Meyers store and charge them with animal neglect or whatever. Eight five five six one is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Is this a situation where the police are, are negligent and deficient in not recognizing that they should burst the window and free the dog? Or is this a situation where the guy has completely and totally overreacted and really needs to mind his own business? Eight five five six one six one six twenty, we discuss. <laughs> That's pretty good. 855-616-1620. Okay, from my, one of my first texts is from a guy named, My name is Chad, and I'm offended that you gave this character my name. I apologize. Had to find some name. I was trying to find out what the equivalent is. 855-616-1620. If you're just tuning in real quick, here's the deal. It's Saturday afternoon around noon. Remember Saturday, cloudy day. I, I don't think you saw the sun anywhere during the day. The temperature is in the mid-60s. So Meyer uh, Grocery Store in Waukesha. Person has left a little dog. Looks like my dog. Looks like a Pomeranian in the car guy sees the dog in the car. The window is cracked a couple inches. You can see this. The dog's bouncing around. The dog's barking, you know, at, at all the people that are surrounding this. Guy calls the police and then becomes upset when the police officer says, the dog's not in distress. The dog looks fine. It's it's not overheated. It's not dehydrated. It's not panting. I see no reason why. So the guy is demanding the officer's name and he's just absolutely outraged and he goes as far as to post this video uh, because he's upset that the Waukesha police did not intervene. Our number is 855 616 1620. I guess my comment would be I, you know, three words, including it's a hyphenated word, you know, get a life. You know, okay? seriously, the, I, to me, I guess I look at this and I see a normal Pomeranian dog who's bouncing around. Actually, I would argue that Chad is causing the dog more distress because it's freaking the dog out that he's walking around close and trying to film the stuff. Dog looks perfectly fine to me. This is exactly how my dog, I think, would behave, for example, if the doorbell rang at home. 855-616-1620. This is my perspective. Look, I think people who leave animals in hot cars and abandon them there deserve you know to have the book thrown at them but in this case window cracked cloudy day mid 60s the dog seems to be perfectly fine now if the person doesn't come out for another two hours maybe that's a different story but this isn't a 90 degree day in the middle of the sun i think the cop responded exactly correctly Eight five five let's start with mary mary you're on wtmj good afternoon
0: Afternoon. Uh, F Y I, uh, the equivalent would be a Kevin.
1: Okay, you like Kevin better There's than Chad. There. Okay, <laughs> all right. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: Anywho, um you know he just needed to mind his own business. I mean, if he was there, literally standing there for twenty minutes, he could have easily gone into the store, gone to the service counter, you know, perhaps, you know, had somebody, you know, go over the um, the PA system, you know, yeah, and have the person come out or. You know but he's already waited 20 minutes he had to call the police so the police aren't you know right there so that's another 10 minutes or, or more more mm-hmm. you know so it's a good half hour plus the dog is obviously not in distress
1: obviously you know, not like in distress said, it's,
0: not, nope. it's not 90 degrees it's not sunny so um you know if he was that concerned he could have just gone into the meyer's store and said hey you know someone left the dog in the car and
1: you might want to you check know, that on sort him. Of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, th- thanks for right. It, and you might want to want to check on him. I mean, I'm I'm seriously, I'm trying to think this through. Okay, my my dog. I will, like last last week. My wife was out of town. She was in Florida with her granddaughter. So um, my dog is left alone in our house. Um For it could be six or seven hours at a time. It, now, it, you know, I, I set the air, the, thermo- the thermostat at like seventy five degrees. My guess is on hot days it is probably warmer in my house than it is in in this car, and my dog does just absolutely fine. And I guess before when when you say, oh, the dog is in distress. You you look at this dog in the video, the dog's bouncing around, dog appears perfectly happy. Like I say, the only distress, it seems to me, that the dog is in is the dog is now freaked out that you've got this guy who's wandering around at real close proximity to the vehicle trying to film these things, and the dog is barking at that person. I don't see a dog in distress at all, and unless your policy is going to be, and I've got a text from somebody who says, you never leave a dog in a car, It, it can die if you put it in there for 10 minutes. Oh, give me a break. I I mean, this dog looks perfectly fine, and my guess is there's a lot of you who will leave your dog, you take your dog with you, and will leave your dog for limited periods of time. Again, if it's 100 degrees and the sun is beating down, that's one thing. This was Saturday, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dan, Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. It's the first time i listened to your show. I'm really enjoying it. Oh, thank you. Um, This is what I call kind of like uh, the outrage culture. We we live in this era of the outrage, and people just want to be outraged about things. The police officer did his job. You know, this guy was responding to what the idea that, you know, it it irritated him that people might leave a dog in a car too long. That's why he was upset and completely missing the fact that that dog there that day wasn't in that situation. Yeah. People want to be outraged about
1: things. Right, and, and then when you're presented with the, the underlying facts of the matter, oh, this dog is in distress, we have to do something, and the cop is looking at this dog that's bouncing around and wagging his or her tail, and it's like, I, I don't see distress, and I'm not going to just go breaking car windows for the sake of breaking car windows. If the dog was panting and, you know, showing that it was dehydrated or something like that. This is this happy thing. I and again, like I say, yeah. I think you can argue that it was, in this case, the guy I'm calling, Chad, who was creating more of a disturbance and freaking the dog out by walking around real close and filming the thing. Yeah, thanks for calling call. 855-616-1620. And thanks for listening. You were calling from Grand Haven, Michigan. 855-616-1620. Jeff, let's go to the text line. This guy lives alone and has no friends. Um... Jeff, the police officer was absolutely correct. I saw something similar a few years ago at a train station where kids were waiting for their father to watch their mother get on a train and go to work. Somebody got the station people to make an announcement about a child in a car. They were there with their father. Sometimes people just need to mind their own business. Mind your own business and get a life. He caused the dog more anxiety and distress. I'm sure the dog would have just been fine if the Yahoo not Chad, laugh out loud, would have just moved on. Jeff, if he's that concerned, you break the window yourself. Well, he was threatening to do that. You know, he was, if the cop hadn't gotten here soon, that's it. Jeff, the police officer was correct, and the guy needs to keep his nose on his face and leave the poor dog uh, to lay down and rest in the car. Hi, Jeff. Chad needs to get a life and mind his own business. A few years ago, we were at Sam's Club just to make a quick stop. It was a cool fall day. We had our little cockapoo in the car with the windows open. When we came out, there was a lady yelling at us. We love our dog, and we'd never put her in danger. So people just need to mind their own business. Thanks for the program. Jeff, the cop was totally right. This happened to us once. We were in the cost, in a Costco, walked in the store. Um, I'll send, uh, some man is yelling to service to my husband to say, do you know it's hot outside and you left your dog out there in the vehicle? And we're like, yeah, but our truck was running with our son in it. The guy was absolutely crazy. Jeff, as a responsible pet owner, I never take my dogs with me if I'm going to go indoors if it's over 70 degrees outside. Well, I think it's a, that, that's a, that's a tough, line to, to ask. I mean, a lot of times dogs would rather be in the car and go along with them. And again, I'm not endorsing animal cruelty. I'm not saying you leave a dog in a car for a period of time where the dog becomes overheated. I'm just saying it is apparent. Again, if you watch this video and I've got it posted on my, on my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner 620, if you watch this video, this dog is not in distress. I mean, the dog is bouncing around. The dog is lively. The dog is barking at all the activity. Um, and that's because It wasn't hot outside, and like I say, my guess is that dog in that car was more comfortable than maybe he would have been in a small apartment, for example. Jeff, I also own a dog. I think as dog owners, we know what the right conditions are and what to do if we bring our dog in a vehicle and how long we will stay in to an establishment. I'm sure the owner did not get up that day and go, you know, this is the day I can see how I can abuse my dog today. Yeah, I think that's like, okay, then I don't think, um, uh, I don't think the guy has a case to break a window. You know, in the 60s is fine. Dogs can get in a car for a long time when it's 60 degrees, some out there, without being in danger. Jeff, this is an overreaction by the citizen. Just like people who complain when an owner lets a thick-furred dog like a Husky or a Malamute outside in their own fence yard when it's not even very cold. It seems like some people are more concerned about the welfare of animals than fellow human beings, often insisting that already overburdened law enforcement get involved. Well, I don't fault the guy. He he feel strongly about this. He calls the police officer. Okay, that's fine. Now, I agree with our first caller, Mary. I think maybe the better reaction would have been, you know, you go in, you mention to the store manager, hey, I- I've noticed that there's somebody, you know, that there's, there's a car, there's a dog in the car, you might want to check him, but he decides he's going to call the cops. Okay, that's fine. At that point in time, Chad, no offense to all you Chads out there, butt out. I mean, it's it's the arguing with the police officer that I, I think really brings this over the top. You have called. You have done, if you think you are doing your civic duty, you have done your civic duty. You have called the police. The police have responded. The police officer has investigated and determined that the dog is not in distress and that there is no need to take emergency action. At that point in time, I think you say, get on with your life, go shopping or do whatever, and just let go. You've done your bit. You've turned it over to the cops. The cops have made the determination that there's no crime that has been committed. Move on. Get on with your life, Chad. Okay, Alex, are you feeling brave, or would you like to take the fifth on a question I'm about to ask you? Okay, all right. I'm, 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 just, I'm putting that out there because you know i i I get paid you know to to offer opinions on stuff and Mm -hmm. i know that you're you're the objective news guy during your newscast Mm -hmm. you made reference to the design for the new public museum that Mm -hmm. they've come out with today have you seen it i've seen the artist rendering just like a couple of pictures glancing by i haven't really given you know really looked at them very closely yet why okay well why okay my question is what what is your reaction to this? And, and again, you 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 can you can say I haven't seen enough to have an opinion, <laughs> or you can, <laughs> or you can say I, I take the fifth. You know, or you you can offer your opinion on this. It didn't look as bold of a design as, let's say, the Milwaukee Art Museum or something else that uh, you know is down along the lakefront area. But I don't know. I have to I'll, I'll, I'll have to wait and see on that one because the. Heart of the public museum is the inside where everything is there. So maybe they needed to have it covered. I don't know. Okay. Well, that that's your take. See, now, if you follow me on Twitter, at JeffWagner620, and you want to see the, the pictures okay. of, of this, you you can do that because I just tweeted this out. Now, I'm already getting a huge response because this was my take. All right. You've got to be kidding me. It looks like a giant space heater. If this is really the design, maybe we can relocate that ugly orange thing at the end of Wisconsin Avenue, move that to the museum as well, so then we can have like all the ugly artwork and stuff in one place. Let the comments begin. <laughs> so, but that, that's my take on this. It's like I look at this and I'm like, it is. It, honest to God, it looks like the space heater I have at my house, <laughs> except on a giant level. Yeah, concrete and glass, so just a big five story building of it with not a lot, uh, not a lot I, else going on. I, right. I, I understand, but you see, whenever like whenever I make fun of the big orange asterisk that's at the end of Wisconsin mm-hmm. Avenue, everybody, well, not everybody, but most people agree with me. But then you have the the folks. Who, Jeff, you just don't understand. This is art this is beauty it? no it it's I understand art I, I get it this just isn't it but everybody can have opinions and stuff and and those renderings are out and if you follow me on Twitter and want to see what Alex was referring to everybody can form their own opinions already on this. to me giant space heater but that's <laughs> but that's you know everybody has their own opinions when we come back all right maybe it was a good thing that you had an armed citizen on the premises I will explain we will discuss I understand beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm just saying I'm looking at these designs the public museum design, I, I think it's just but ugly. I, I I'm, that's just how I feel, and getting lots of response. And some people agree with me, and other people say, "Oh, this is beautiful. This is just absolutely wonderful. That that's good. That's what a conversation is all about." But you can decide for yourself. And if you want to see it, there's all sorts of places. But again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Got a link to uh, at least some photos in the new design, and people can decide for themselves. the The Democratic Senate debate was was yesterday on today tmj4 and i I don't know that there was much that that came of of this i i want to confess i did not watch it did not watch it we were at i was at a party with some friends last night um so i I did not watch it so i've only reviewed the the newspaper and the internet accounts of it and it seems like uh the the general sense was that the front runners who are perceived to be mandela barnes and alex lazary they didn't do anything to hurt themselves the The interesting exchanges were between what I would say are the third and fourth place candidates, State Treasurer uh, Sarah Godlewski and um, Tom Nelson, who is the Appleton uh, County executive. First of all, and this didn't get a lot of attention because Nelson, he's a distant fourth in the polls. He's only polling about 7% or something. He's not going to win. But apparently at one point in time in the debate, Nelson said that he wanted to nationalize the oil companies. Now, if he was more of a serious candidate, I I suspect that story would have gotten a little bit more attention. But let's just stop for a second. You have at least one of the top four candidates who is running for the Democratic nomination of the U.S. Senate who is saying that he thinks the government should take over the oil companies. So the the government should march in and confiscate all the assets of ExxonMobil and all the other big oil companies and then presumably run them. I mean... Uh, Here's a guy, you know, this is this is like look at Venezuela. It doesn't work very well. And, And he wants to nationalize an industry. What other industries would you like to nationalize? I mean, this is this isn't communism. This is socialism in the extreme. And we're now going to take private property and we're going to close down businesses and we're going to have the government run them oh, like that's going to work out really well. So Tom Nelson just hops on the crazy train and says he wants to nationalize oil companies. Now, I assume he's doing this because he's polling forth in the debate and he's trying to, I don't know, appeal to the real, 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 real kook fringe of the Democratic Party voters, but he wants to nationalize oil companies and you think that some of these people who want to get elected aren't extreme? The other interesting discussion and again it became between Nelson and Godlewski who are running third and fourth Um, apparently Nelson for whatever reasons decided that he wanted to take a shot at Godlewski Uh, okay now normally you want to kind of punch up you would think that you would take a shot at Mandela Barnes or Alex Lasry the people who are leading you in the polls but Godlewski and Nelson are are way down in the polls so he decides to take a shot at, at her And he apparently argues about how, you know, a a lot of the stuff that went wrong in his view in this country is that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton, and then Trump got to put three people on the U.S. Supreme Court. And then he says a lot of people didn't vote in the election, including Godlewski, who worked for the Clinton campaign, but didn't vote. She didn't vote in the 2016 election. Now, I don't know if that's a... I don't know if that's a valid issue or not. I mean, I guess voters can decide. But if she didn't vote, you know, she didn't vote. Now, I think her explanation is she wasn't sure if she was legally entitled to vote. And my comment would be apparently she didn't feel strongly enough about it to go to the trouble of finding out whether she was legally entitled to vote in Wisconsin or, or not. Um, It's interesting that, you know, then four years later, she's running to be the U.S. senator that represents Wisconsin, but she didn't was concerned about whether she met the residency requirements four years ago. But that's an aside. But uh, she she didn't vote. Okay, And, you know, it there's all sorts of ways that you can respond to that saying, yeah, well, I, I was I was uncertain. I didn't think legal I could do it or whatever else her explanation would be. Here's the way she responds back. As the only woman on this stage, I won't be lectured by any men about how important this is. And then she goes on to do a riff about reproductive rights. As the only woman on the stage, I won't be lectured by any man about how important this is. I thought that's an interesting reaction, because whether it's a valid challenge or not, Nelson is saying, you didn't even care enough to vote in 2016. And and maybe that's a valid issue, maybe it's not. But her response is, I'm the only woman on this stage, I won't be lectured by men. In other words, how how dare you you challenge me because I'm, I'm a woman? Uh, you know, so we're, we're going to play the female card here. The, the, the argument, and far be it from me to defend Nelson, this is the crazy guy who wants to nationalize oil companies, but he's going after her saying she didn't vote in the 2016 election. All right, her response is, how dare you lecture me because I'm a woman? <laughs> okay, well, it has nothing to, he wasn't attacking you because you're a woman. Yes, everybody knows you're the only female on the stage, but he's arguing that you didn't vote. You know, men don't vote, women don't vote, but she decides she's going to play the female card. How dare you challenge me? I'm a female. Well, you know, you do kind of want to roll your eyes and say, okay, if she somehow gets the nomination, is this. Is this going to be the, the issue? She wants to ban assault weapons. And presumably, I don't know if she she's kind of ducking the question about whether that means she wants to confiscate them as well. All right. But uh, then what if you challenge her on that? Are we going to get the response? Well, I'm a woman. How dare you? I'm I'm the only woman running for office against Ron Johnson and say, uh, how dare you challenge me? It's like. You know, seriously, let, let's not play the, the gender card. You know, where, where does that end? If you think it's an invalid argument on the merits, just argue it. But I'm a woman, don't lecture me. You know, give me a break. Otherwise, I'm not sure there's anything too meaningful that came out of that discussion. When we come back, an armed good Samaritan stops a potential massacre. We'll discuss. <laughs> The Wisconsin State Fair is just around the corner, and you know what that means. Cream Puffs. Lucky for you, WTMJ has your chance to get your hands on some for free. Cream Puffa Palooza is back. Mark your calendars because starting today all you need to do is head to WTMJ.com or text the word PUFF to the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620 and register for a six pack of delicious cream puffs. It's cream puffapalooza from the Wisconsin State Fair and WTMJ. We have been doing this for years. Um, I, and I, it, it's one of these events that I, I really enjoy. I'm not going to be able to participate this year because, we do it the day before the state fair, and I'm going to be gone. I'm on my listener trip to Alaska. We, we leave two weeks from tomorrow, and so I'm going to miss cream puff of blues in the first couple of days of the fair. I'll be back for the end of it and all, but Steve Scafidi will be filling in. But, yeah, you, you know the drill. Text the word "puff" to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line, and you can register for your chance to win. All right. I am curious as to your reaction to this story. Yesterday evening, like 6 o'clock, you have a guy who enters the Greenwood Park Mall. Greenwood Park Mall. Think about Indianapolis. It's about like 12 miles south of Indianapolis. And so guy walks into the food court about six o'clock at night. He's got a rifle. He's got um, rounds and rounds and rounds of ammunition. And he starts shooting. He uh, Two people are, are killed. Two others are injured as he is firing what happens is people are running all over. What happens is there is a 22-year-old guy who is in, in the area. He sees the shooting taking place. He is a concealed carry holder in Indiana. He's got his gun with him. He pulls out his gun. He kills the shooter. And so what could have been... A situation, mean, I mean, it's a terrible situation. I mean, two people dead, two others that are, are, are shot, I think they're going to survive. But, and that's a horrible situation, don't get me wrong. But because you have what the police are describing as an armed good Samaritan who decides to pull out his gun and shoot the shooter. Who knows what would have happened if there wasn't that armed Good Samaritan? That's what the police are referring to him as. But the truth of the matter is that the guy was shooting, you have all sorts of unarmed victims who are scattering. This could have easily been... Five people dead, 10 people dead, 20 people dead. You you, you just don't know. But because there was the 22-year-old guy with the gun on the scene, he was able to intervene. He took down the shooter. And you have the loss of life, which is limited to two people and the shooter, um, versus 22 people. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right. Should... The guy have intervened. By the guy I mean the concealed carry holder. He sees this going on. Should he have waited for the police to arrive instead of deciding to take matters in his own hand? Was it irresponsible for him to pull out his gun and shoot the shooter? Should he have just run with everybody else? Or did he do absolutely, totally, one hundred percent the right thing? eight five five six one six one six twenty we discuss in a moment. And by the way, we're going to be joined by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, I believe, at the start of the 1 o'clock hour tomorrow afternoon, as I recall. John on the north side. John, good afternoon. What do you think about this shooter at the mall last night?
2: Hey, Jeff, I think that was great. I mean, that, that the um, conceal and carry guy, he done what he's supposed to have done. Because that guy could have killed everybody with just high power. Hey, I'm a conceal and carry. I would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. We need more people like him
1: yeah I mean you want to talk- I mean he put his life on a line he this is this is exactly the reason why we have the concealed carry laws to defend yourself and to protect others and I agree with you, John, that this guy is a hero. President Biden should be inviting him to the White House and say hey, i'm going to give you some sort of medal because you know you there 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 could have been twenty or thirty or forty people dead, but because you were willing to do what you did, you stopped it no thanks colleague that that's my question. I hope somebody at the next press conference they have asks uh the the press secretary for joe biden what does the president think about the guy with the concealed legal concealed carry permit who decided to intervene because again this is why you have these things and for everybody out there who is just appalled at the presence of guns this is it you have a good guy who used that gun precisely as it was intended and because he was willing to step in and put his life on the line you know I mean, again, who who knows? But is it unreasonable to say that another 20 people could be dead when you have a guy with lots of rounds of ammunition that starts opening up in a food court of a shopping mall on a Sunday afternoon? Jeff, um, yes, if I were there, I would find out who he was and buy him and his wife the best steak dinner that I could. Jeff, he absolutely did the right thing. I am so incredibly glad he was there. Um, Jeff, the 22-year-old saved lives, but what should these good guys do after they help out and would not want the police to mistake them for the shooter? Well, that, that, I don't know what he did exactly after that, but clearly his swift intervention saved lives. Jeff, I think in the moment he did the right thing. Time will tell with it was the right thing um, with the emotional toll being on him for just having shot and killed somebody. Well, I, I guess... My, my sense is I think he's going to probably be comfortable. I hope he's comfortable with this because he saved lives. Jeff, he absolutely did the right thing. The guy is a hero, period. Jeff, of course he did the right thing. The big guy upstairs put him in the right place at the time to save other people's lives. Steve says, Jeff, we need more of these good Samaritans. This guy took out the shooter, saved countless innocent lives. Guns aren't always the bad thing in the right hands. You know, that's kind of an interesting perspective, you know, to have. Jeff, I think he's a hero. Here's what Mary texts. She says, Jeff, you know, I wish that that 22-year-old had been at Uvalde or Highland Park or in Buffalo yeah, or, or any of the other places that are out there you, you look at these situations and you say what if there was a, an armed citizen legally carrying the gun who was in a position to do something to intervene right I mean you know you could make an argument and some people that you know that the complete and total anti-gun crowd would say oh no this is something he, he look look at all the things that could have happened you know he could have gotten himself shot well I'm sure he knew that when he intervened and that's certainly true he could have missed and he could have shot somebody else that's i guess certainly true as well but none of that happened what happened is you have a horrific situation two people shot two other people two, four people shot two killed two injured and, and yes, there is now a third person that's dead, but because of the armed Good Samaritan, instead of the death toll being two, instead of the death toll being 22, it was two. The man is a hero, and I'd like to see the President of the United States recognize that fact. Will he do it? Well, time will tell.
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show, and now
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. It is a peculiar aspect of the story to focus on, but I have the answer. Now, in in the last segment, we were talking about what happened at the Indianapolis shop, the shopping mall outside of Indianapolis yesterday afternoon. Everybody probably knows the story by now. You have a guy with a long rifle and like hundreds of rounds of ammunition goes into the food court about six o'clock, starts indiscriminately shooting. Two people are killed. Two people are injured. A situation that undoubtedly would have been a lot worse was stopped because there was a 22 year old man in the food court at the time who was a concealed carry holder he's got his gun with him he pulls out his gun he shoots he kills the potential mass murderer and so instead of 22 deaths you have two deaths and the two deaths are appalling and shocking and all that but it could have been a a lot worse and In the last segment, we were talking about, is this guy a hero? And I think the answer is pretty clear that he is. Now, it's interesting because I got a handful of texts from people who were saying, before you call him a hero, how are you going to address the fact that the mall had a policy that said you weren't supposed to bring guns into it? Isn't he, in fact, a criminal? How can we be supporting this guy? Because he's a criminal himself. Now, I back up because, again, this is, this is sort of an odd take to have on this situation because you've, you've got a mass murderer who's come in there and who's killing all sorts of people and undoubtedly would have killed a lot more were it not for the armed citizen who was willing to put his life on the line. It's kind of odd to say, well, maybe he should be charged with some sort of crime himself. Well, uh, that, that's to me an odd take and an odd kind of perspective. We're very lucky that that young man, he was 22 years old, we're very lucky that that young man was where he was and knew how to use his gun. But let's address the underlying question. And I, I've, I've got, actually got an answer to this. If you want to see the details of it, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. I put it out there. But, but here's the deal. So for everybody who might be thinking that or wanting to make the argument, the answer is no, he did not commit a crime period case closed but Jeff the mall has a sign that says no firearms up he did it's true but here here's the way those signs work if they're kind of like the policy you know where it says no shoes no shirt no service okay so let's say you go into a restaurant there's no shoes no shirt no service you don't have a shirt on and you're not wearing shoes okay that in and of itself is not a crime. What happens then is if the owner says to you, sir, or somebody, that's not the owner, but, but somebody at the, at the restaurant says, sir, the policy is no shoes, no shirt, no service. You have to leave. And you're told you have to leave. And you refuse to leave. At that point in time, you have, in fact, committed a crime. You, you are trespassing. And you could be prosecuted for having committed a crime, but just going into the no shoes, no shirt, no service without in that situation that in and of itself is not a crime. It's only if after you're directed, after you're tossed out, and you refuse to go, then you've committed a crime. You are trespassing. the The mall's policy is is pretty much the the same. Now, um, this I, I, I'm talking about the law in Indiana. I, I don't know what the law how the law in wisconsin would be interpreted so let's this is indiana and i'm not giving an opinion as to what happens in in wisconsin so this is specifically indiana but in indiana again that's the rationale the person who brings the gun onto the property in violation of the sign he that's not in and of itself a crime What is the crime is, if someone had come up to him and said, sir, you're not allowed to carry a gun here, and he had refused to leave, then he would be guilty of trespassing and would, in fact, have committed a crime. However, in this particular case, nobody came up to him. Nobody asked him to leave. Nobody, you know, complained. It's not like he refused to leave. And, um... Well, the way one of the lawyers is describing it, if the customer does not adhere to the no weapons policy, business owner can demand that the customer leaves. If the customer ignores that demand, the customer is now trespassing, which is a crime in Indiana. But no one asked the guy to leave. Then, therefore, he wasn't trespassing. Um, One of the attorneys says, the fact that the mall had a no-gun policy creates no legal issue whatsoever for this gentleman, and it certainly has no effect whatsoever on his ability to then use force to defend himself or defend other people in the mall. So everybody's saying... Well, he might have violated the policy, but he wasn't committing a crime unless they asked him to leave and he refused. So that ends it. Again, I don't know how this would all play out in, in Wisconsin under similar circumstances, but at least in Indiana, violating the no shoes, no shirt, no service, no gun policy is not a crime in and of itself unless you are asked to leave. Then if you refuse it becomes an issue. That did not happen here, and the mall is of course referring to the guy as heroic, so I, I don't think there's going to be any problems. But for anybody who might say, well, he shouldn't have had the gun, that in and of itself is a crime. It it's not a crime. Period, you know, case closed. So the man who stepped up and stopped. The murders in Indiana yesterday from becoming even worse, he faces no criminal liability. At least that's what most of the smart people interpreting Indiana law would say. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know under Wisconsin's law. And I haven't had time to like really research it, but I don't know if the act of bringing a firearm onto premises where there, there's a no no gun sign posted, whether that in and of itself constitutes trespassing as a crime. In Indiana, it, it doesn't. You you have to be asked to leave. And then if you don't leave, then you're guilty of trespassing. I don't know if the Wisconsin law is different, but the, the point is the guy in Indiana who did, in fact, bring his gun into the mall did not commit a crime. I'm talking about the, the good Samaritan who took out the shooter. He did not commit a crime because he, the only time he would have committed a crime would have been if he had been asked to leave, and he didn't. All right. My comment on this next story that I want to discuss with you is a good start – But now uh, the other day, and I got this story from today's TMJ4, the headline is MPD says 57 unregistered vehicles have been towed for reckless driving since policy change. So May 1st, uh, the Milwaukee Police Department, after much, much discussion, finally a policy signed off on by the Fire and Police Commission, allowed unregistered vehicles to be towed for reckless driving. So here's the here's the deal. Now, Wisconsin law allows unregistered cars to be towed, right? In, in Milwaukee, they didn't tow, as a general rule, unregistered cars. So the Milwaukee police, through the Fire and Co- Police Commission, have now said, all right, we're going to modify that policy. So here's the deal. If we catch somebody... Driving First of all, you've got to be driving an unregistered car. If we catch somebody speeding, going more than 25 miles an hour over the speed limit, and the car is unregistered, we will tow it. If we catch somebody endangering safety um, in an unregistered car, we will tow it. If we find somebody fleeing an officer in an unregistered car, we will tow it. And if we find people racing in unregistered cars, we will tow them. All right, so 47, this is since May 1st, uh, so you're talking about a little over, you know, two months. 47 drivers have had their cars towed for speeding, more than 25 miles an hour over the limit, 10 for endangering safety, uh, 3 for racing, 0 for fleeing an officer. So, and then there's a couple others. So, um this, this is the deal. So they catch you under these circumstances. They, they tow your cars. I have, by the way, no problem with that. No, no problem at all. My argument would be this doesn't go anywhere near far enough. Why aren't we towing all unregistered vehicles? I mean, seriously, let, let's think about this. Why are we only towing unregistered vehicles that are, you know, driving twenty-five miles an hour over the speed limit, or, or fleeing cops. That that's a you know that that's a no-brainer. But let's face it, if you're driving an unregistered vehicle, my guess is you're not going to have insurance on that car. Maybe there's the unicorn situation and somebody's driving an unregistered car and they got insurance. But my guess is almost nobody's going to have insurance. My guess is you're probably not going to have plates on the car or the plates aren't going to belong to the car. You, I guess my point is, why don't we just tow all unregistered cars? But what and the state law, by the way, allows you you to do that. Law enforcement can tow cars that aren't properly registered. Having your car towed is a it's a pain in the you know what. Okay, there, there's a trip to the tow lot. There's all sorts of expenses that go along with it. You get traffic citation. Each tow costs at least 105 bucks. $20 each car day. The car is left at the tow lot. An owner has to get their vehicle registered before driving it off the lot. That costs $115 in Milwaukee County. So if you're driving around with an unregistered car, and, and your car gets towed. It, it's a big deal. First thing is you got to pay the towing fees, then you got to pay the fine, and then you got to register the car, which means you have to show proof of insurance and things like that. Okay, my, my question is isn't this a good thing? Don't we want cars registered? Don't we want people to do what they're supposed to do under the law and prove that they have insurance? Isn't that something that's responsible for all the rest of us who are out there trying to do the right thing by making sure we have insurance and make we do that, make sure we do this? Our number is 855-616-1620. I have no problem at all with the cars they're towing. My point is We should be towing every unregistered car. And if that causes the person who's driving the unregistered car an inconvenience, like they've got to pay the towing fee and get their car registered like they should have done in the first place and get some insurance, so be it. So be it. This is really, as a practical matter, it's the only way you have of enforcing these laws. And if you don't enforce the laws, it makes the rest of us... Well, the, the rest of us are chumps. Those of us who are doing the right thing and making sure our cars are registered and we're paying the fees. And, you know, we're, we're in this situation and we've got the insurance. 855-616-1620. I think, you know, you get stopped. Your car is unregistered. Boom. Call the tow truck. Haul it. It's your problem. Get it until, until you get it back. And then if you, that means you got to jump through the hoops. I say so be it. 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. <laughs> look I, I why are we towing all unregistered cars i mean you're, you're not supposed to be driving cars if they're not registered Is it because well you know we don't want to come down too hard on people because it costs money to register your car well yeah, yes, but the only if you're caught driving an unregistered car, tow it and then you know you're not going to get it back till you do what you're supposed to do why why aren't we enforcing the law it plays the make, makes the rest of us seem like chumps. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, Jeff. Hi, John. Uh, I lived in South Carolina for three and a half years, and you get pulled over in South Carolina. They ask for three things your driver's license, your proof of insurance, and your registration. If you're missing one of those, they tow your car and. You have to get whatever you're missing, and that's just not even a question. That's just that's the way it is, and a lot of the
0: southern states surrounding them are the same way.
1: Yeah, and it seems to me to be pretty straightforward. I mean, there's a reason why cars are supposed to be registered. There's a reason why you're supposed to have insurance with them You know, to protect other sorts of people. And if this is the law, just look, I understand it's going to inconvenience some people, and I understand there's going to be some people who just maybe inadvertently gee i didn't realize the car was unregistered well too bad you got to take some responsibility and yes it's going to cost you some money to get your um car back but just w- wake up do the right thing in the first place then you're not going to have a problem
2: yeah in the city of milwaukee i mean Ridiculous. It's like you, you drive through the center of the city and it's like, yeah. 50% of the cars are, are the, the registration is expired and the cops just drive right by them. I just don't get it. I'm like, <laughs> What am I doing? there? Am I the dumb guy? Why am I paying for all this?
1: Well, right now, thanks to call or, or the cars without the license plates or or whatever. Look, and I I I understand that you know right now we're concentrating on stopping trying to reduce reckless driving. I'm all in favor of that, and that's why I, I have no problem with this policy. But you know that the the, the um, fire and police commission, my gosh, they were they were like wringing their hands about, gee, can we do this or what's going to go on, and you know what, what's going to be effect of taking a you know of towing the Car that goes that belongs to somebody who's fleeing an officer well to me that's a no brainer, but I go that next step. It seems to me it's it's a no brainer you you're you're operating a car. Your, the car is unregistered. It's not supposed to be on the street. Just giving somebody a ticket and telling them pay that ticket. Well, good luck with that. You know, that, that doesn't make sure, that doesn't, my guess is three quarters of those tickets just end up getting crumpled up and thrown into the back seat of the car because you know there's no consequences. If, you have consequences for behavior. If people know and the word gets out, hey, you're driving this car, it's not registered, they're gonna haul it away. What do you mean they're gonna haul it away? They're gonna put up, they're gonna call up the truck and they are gonna haul it away. I guarantee you that a huge chunk of people are going to start taking it seriously when they get that notice saying that you have to send in the money. It generates revenue for the county. It'll generate revenue for the state because it will provide an impetus for people to do this. And it will make the streets safer because it will have the effect of getting the unregistered cars off the street. It's simple. So this is a good policy, but it's only a good first step Let's start towing all the unregistered vehicles, period." WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin radio station is moving to the Avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Follow our progress all summer long. As we embark on a journey to our new home, the Avenue is vibrant, exciting. Plus you'll be able to come by and see us. WTMJ's move to the Avenue is sponsored by Coakley brothers and brothers interior, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. Yes. Our time here at radio city is, is quickly winding down the office staff is moving in mid August and there's all sorts of boxes around and then those of us on air personalities and the the producers and things like that they call that the content team content team is going to be out of here by like I think the 3rd week in September I think September 26th is our first day of broadcasting from the new location downtown I I've, I've had an opportunity to go down there and get a tour I've gotten a tour of the studios they're they're still building them and actually I got to tell you i was a little bit i was one of these kind of skeptics thinking oh how is this going to be they're pretty darn cool there's no question about it and they they are located in the the food hall they're on they're on one end of the food hall but you know if if you want to walk around and you want to watch me doing my show you'll have an opportunity to do that i'm not sure how interesting that is but you'll have an opportunity to do it and the espn station is going to be right next ours, and then the truth is going to be there so you can wander around and and check us out so it's 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 quite nice, and I think it's, it's gonna be much. Different. There's some stuff I'm still. Oh, that's kind of interesting. We're not gonna. You're not gonna have an assigned desk down there, but you you can have all sorts of space that you can go and you can just plug in your computer and be at. And I, I'm still processing that, but I think it's going to be cool and I think it's going to be fun. And um, again, as I've said before, that I, I love this building. We're here. I've worked here for 24 years, but it's it's clearly as I was looking at the water stains on the wall and stuff. It's clearly tired. So this is going to be exciting, and um, we'll we'll be in our new location. I think all in, all done, um, certainly everybody's going to be there by the end of September. Kind of an exciting time. And if you are in downtown Milwaukee, come by and stop by and you know, kind of wave. All right. There's something that's of a, a rarity nowadays because most states do not have the, the death penalty. And if they have the death penalty, it's not enforced That is, that there has to be a decision made to seek the death penalty, and lots of times prosecutors, even if it's allowed in the state, they just choose not to do it. Well, that's not what is happening in Florida. Nicholas Cruz, and I I understand, unfortunately, we've had so many of these mass shootings that that the names all all kind of blur. Nicholas Cruz is the guy who, um, back in 2018, he was... The I, I think he was either 18 or 19 at the time. He was the one who was responsible for killing 14 students and three adults at Parkland, Florida's high school in, in 2018. Today, his trial starts on the death penalty phase because he, he ended up pleading guilty to 17 counts of murder and 17 counts of attempted murder. His attorneys tried to cut a deal saying, tell you what, he'll, he'll cop a plea. But he wants—he doesn't want the death penalty. He wants life in prison without the possibility of parole. The um, prosecutor said, "Nope, nope. We're we're going to pursue the death penalty." So that trial starts today. They estimate it t- might take a couple months. The jury will have to unanimously agree. All, all the 12 jurors that they ultimately end up select would have to unanimously agree on the death penalty. All you need is one person to say no, and then he gets life in prison without the popu- uh, possibility of parole. Let me just really quickly review the bidding, what it was that Cruz did. Like I said, this is um, this goes back to 2018. The shooting lasted about six minutes. Three minutes before the shooting, uh, three days, I'm sorry, before the shooting, he, he spoke into his cell phone camera and declared, Hello, my name is Nick. I'm going to be the next school shooter of 2018. All right, then what happened, uh, February 14th, 2018, he takes an Uber to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, walks inside, fatally shoots teenage students in the hallway, fires into several classrooms, shoots three adults who were trying to protect the students from the carnage. He also retraced his steps, shot several of the victims repeatedly, One, a 14-year-old, was shot 13 times. In all, he fired 139 rounds inside the school, including 70 on the first floor, two in the stairwell, six on the second floor, and 61 on the third floor. So he is meticulously walking floor by floor and executing people. He then uh, dropped his rifle, left the school, blending in with the fleeing crowd. He went to a subway to get an icy one of the drinks, he left a tip. He drank the icy on a bench. He was spotted by an officer and arrested about three miles from the school, just over an hour before the shooting. So that's that's kind of the background of of this and and what he did. And you will might remember that the Parkland school shooting. That's gotten a lot of attention because there were a number of the students from that high school who became part of the the March for Our Lives movement, which is kind of you know push you know gun safety legislation et, et cetera. So that this is that guy. Those are the circumstances. Planning it clearly broadcasting that he was going to do it and then executing it in a cold and calculating sort of fashion. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. What do you think about the death penalty for this guy? Is it appropriate? And if it's not appropriate for him, would it, in your mind, ever be appropriate for anybody? 855-616-1620, we discuss. (laughs) Welcome back. So very glad to have you listening. In In most cases, even the school shooting cases or the mass murder cases, most of them end with either the, the shooter taking his own life. It's always, almost always a him taking his own life um, or being shot by law enforcement officers. Or alternatively, if they do capture the shooter, typically what happens is the shooter is prosecuted, convicted and then sentenced to life in prison most often without the possibility of parole. It is rare to have a death penalty case, in part because most states do not have the death penalty, and in states that have the death penalty, for whatever reasons, many prosecutors do not choose to seek the death penalty. Well, this is different. In Florida, in the case of the Parkland school shooter from 2018, and I went through the background of what the, the guy did, um, 17 people dead, 14 kids, three adults. The prosecution said, no, we are pursuing the death penalty. The trial, which will take a couple months, starts Today, they need a unanimous verdict. All you need is one person to say, no, I I don't think you should get the death penalty, and that would be it. My question is, is the death penalty appropriate in a case like this? And my answer is, of course it is. And, you know, somebody said to me, well, do you really think that this would deter other school shooters? And my answer is no. I, I don't. I mean, I, I think if you're a, if you're crazy enough, if you're psychotic enough to go in and, and kill this many people. No, I don't think the possibility of that, gee, I could be put to death. I don't I don't think that's necessarily a deterrent. But you know what? I don't care. I don't give a rat's rump about whether it's a deterrent or not. If it is, that's great. To me, it is the only appropriate punishment for somebody who acts in this behavior. And I would apply that to any mass shooting situation. This shooter took 17 lives, 14 kids, three adults who were killed while they were protecting children. Explain to me why it is that the taxpayers of the state of Florida should, now he's 22, 23 years old, why the taxpayers of Florida should pay to support him three meals a day and exercise facilities and TV and all this stuff for the next 40 or 50 years of of, of his life. I mean, he killed 17 people with the most cold-hearted malice that you could possibly imagine. This isn't a crime of passion where you have somebody who, I don't know, walks into the house and in a moment of rage finds their spouse in bed with somebody else and flips off the handle. I'm not endorsing that at all, but this isn't a crime of passion. This was a calculated mass murder. Let's start with Bob. Bob, you're on WTMJ
2: hey jeff um thanks for taking my call um, you know we don't want to make uh, prison sound like it's uh, club med either i mean in this particular case i think we'd be letting the guy off easy by by taking his life you know prison isn't easy especially if he's not given preferential treatment i mean if he's if he's in jail i mean let's be honest the physical abuse the sexual abuse um, it could be worse than, than, than the death penalty. And I think in this case, that's deterrent. I, I, I think when you're dealing with people that kill people, I don't think they, they care
1: about death. Well, but But he's fighting, no, but, but he's fighting hard. I'm no, well, well, let me stop you there. He, he's fighting very hard. He offered to plead guilty. I'll plead guilty to everything if you, Mr. Prosecutor, guarantee that I won't face the death penalty. And the prosecutor said no, and he went ahead and, you know, he pled guilty anyways. No, he, he doesn't, he clearly doesn't want the death penalty. He's not agreeing to it. He's fighting it. So clearly, at least the shooter views life in prison as preferable to, you know, being put, being executed.
2: Well, he's in for a rude awakening, then. If uh, you know, if you, all you have to do is look back at the Dahmer situation, look back at some of the other situations where people have been put in jail, and they don't last very long. And yeah. you know, the road to dying in prison is not a pleasant one.
1: Yeah, no. Th- thanks for the call. Now, again, I you know, I, I was always struck by that because I, I and, and you know, the, the I, I was talking to. In another life, I I was talking to somebody involved in the correction system, and they made the point of telling me, Jeff – you don 't under have you don 't understand we don 't put people in prison for punishment we put people in prison as punishment that is the very fact that your freedom is going to be taken away that in and of itself is such is, is going to be the penalty and so we, we shouldn 't make the conditions conditions too extreme and I thought that was kind of an interesting take on this because yes, for many many people. Yeah, having your freedom taken away would just be be a nightmare that that would be I think for most of us the, the idea of hey we, we can't go about our ordinary lives and we can't go out to that Friday fish fry and we can't come home and and you know uh, you know kiss our children and you know kiss our wife and all that sort of stuff that 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 would be an absolute uh, be a, a fate you know worse than death but there's other people for whom no, that that's just that's just not the situation so I guess I question the premise that oh you know it's it would be worse to be put in prison for life. But regardless, see, I just think, and again, I don't, I don't base my argument here on deterrence. I base it on the fact that I, I just think it's the appropriate punishment. Um, for this. Jeff, I don't believe this murderer wants more mur- wants to live, and if those other people that wanted to live, yes, I'd say, you know, um execute him. I would say life in prison, but our prisons are so comfortable and cushy, I say death penalty. Um, let's see. Heck yes. <laughs> um, Jeff, I'm not against the death penalty, but I think life in prison with no parole and constant daily reminders of the victims he killed would be worse. Well, I don't know. I I, I see. Here's the the problem. You know, you you want to see remorse from some people, but th- there are some people that just there. There's something wrong with them. They they don't have those normal psychological triggers that most people have. And and thank goodness there's not that many of those folks out there. But yeah, most of us we're capable of feeling things like compassion. We're capable of feeling remorse gee, that was really a bad decision. I'm really sorry that happened. There are some people in this world, and I would argue that anybody who makes the conscious decision to go into a high school and murder 14, 17, but 14 kids, three adults, I would argue that they're just absolutely incapable of expressing remorse. Jeff, given the planning and premeditation of the shooting, I don't see how you wouldn't give him the death penalty. If he's executed, his death will be far less painful than what he caused for no reason at all. Stephen O'Creek, Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hello. I see. Yes, I think you should get the death penalty. I think the crime or the punishment should fit the crime. And in this case, the uh, punishment should be death by firing squad. I'm sure there's members of the family that would be happy to pull the trigger.
1: Yeah, I- interesting thing. I don't know. Um, I don't know how Florida does the, the death penalty. I don't know if it's in in most places it's still lethal injection, but I I, I don't know how how they do it. I'm less concerned about the the how to it as opposed to the, the reaction. And and also I mean I understand the people that make the argument that okay, well life in prison without parole is, is worse than anything. But here's the other thing. How do you know for sure that it's going to be life in prison without parole? I, I mean we you know we saw this in Wisconsin where, you know, Tony Evers picks, you know, his parole chief who has been on a mission until he got fired, um and Evers fired the guy because of of political pressure, and it 's an election year, but they 've been setting all sorts of parole. you know You had that one situation where the guy who stabbed his wife in front of the kids, and the judge said, "Look, the most I can give you is eighty years in prison, but I, I just you should never be paroled Well, okay, you know Tony evers." Rolls around his parole chief that they, they wanted to let the guy out on parole. There was enough of a of an uproar that Evers again, because it's an election year, moved in and said, "No, I don't think this should happen," and then ended up firing the guy. But if this wasn't an election year, or if Evers somehow wins in November, who's to say that you know that's not going to be a return to the parole provisions? And I I understand. That you know, in in Florida, it's life in prison without parole. But who who knows? Who can say that you know five years from now there is a different governor and there's maybe a a liberal-controlled legislature who comes in and, as part of the prison overcrowding act of 2028, they decide that automatically all the sentences without parole are going to be converted to all right. You're eligible for parole after 20 years. You know, you can't guarantee that this is going to be, in fact, life in prison without parole. There's that's always the vagary you face as well. But again, I go back to the basic philosophy of four mass murderers who are caught convicted of their crime and I'm, give them due process. But there's no question this guy did what he did. We're, we're not talking about executing a potentially innocent person. There's no question at all, guilt is 100%. You're not going to be making a mistake and saying, oh, somebody's going to come forward later on and say, it was somebody else that did it. No, this was a guy who methodically executed 17 people, and if he had the chance, would have probably killed another 117 as he was walking up and down through the, the, uh, the school, to me... I think this is, if if there's ever a case for the death penalty, this is it. And as somebody who doesn't have a problem with the death penalty in appropriate extreme circumstances, I hope the jury comes back and, and orders it. We'll see.
2: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 I, 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 I'm actually, I've made a conscious effort to post lots more stuff on Twitter, and a lot of times I will have, like, thoughts between the time I'm on the air, and some of those thoughts end up making it on the air and others don't, but I, I'm reflecting on stuff. I was listening to our sports report about the Brewers, and I, I am a huge Brewers fan, Not not just because we're the flagship station, but because... I, I mean, I, I was living here when the Milwaukee Brewers moved here from, um, Seattle. I grew up as a big baseball fan and I grew up with the Brewers and so I, I, I have a, 20 games partial season ticket package so you know I, I go to a bunch of the games and you know put my money where my mouth is so i i i i love i love listening to the games i love baseball during the summer and i would say you know between baseball and football those are my two favorite sports but i think there's something about the rhythm of baseball and i i just i i sent out a, a tweet and i, and I, I say this Look, I I don't claim to be the baseball experts that we, you know, that you have. You want to hear that, you know, you listen to Greg Matzik or to our our folks on ESPN and things like that who do a great job. But, I I mean, just from the perspective of somebody who played the game at a very, 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 very very low level, you know, Little Leagues and stuff like that, but kind of understands baseball, the the thing about the Brewers this year, and I sent out a tweet that got a lot of response, the thing that I think is is the the most frustrating thing to me is – how bad this team is with fundamentals. And and by that, I mean that the stuff that's like drilled into you, you know, when when you're playing little league baseball in second and third grade, and and it's just, it happens over and over again. It happened on multiple occasions during the weekend. Okay. This is a team that that has trouble scoring runs, which means you've got to manufacture runs. So, I mean, there, there was one instance, for example, this weekend, runner on second, nobody out. Alright, well, you know, and in this case, I think they were behind by a run when this happened. You gotta get that runner home. So what do you have to do? The first guy that's up, the first guy that comes to bat, runner at second, what do you gotta do? All you have to do, you hit a ground ball, you get the runner to third, and then there's all sorts of easier ways you can score. Then it's a fly ball or whatever. That's what good teams do. The Brewers don't. You know, everybody comes up there, everybody's trying to hit home runs, and so you you pop out. And so instead of advancing the guy to third base, still there's now one out. Or you strike out because you're trying to hit home runs. You know, a couple times in the last week, the Brewers load the bases, no outs, and they can't score. And they do this over and over and over again. You know, good teams... Manufacture runs. They, 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 have the basics, and and the brewers don't. And I don't know if it's the players that can't execute. I don't know if if Craig Council just doesn't put pressure on them to do it. I don't know if they're not drilled in the fundamentals. But it seems like everybody's trying to hit home runs when you know you, 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 you especially when the team doesn 't have a lot of great hitters, and this team doesn 't have a lot of great hitters you, you can 't pass up opportunities over and over and over again and it's it 's just it 's that fundamentals that 's my only observation it just it 's just so frustrating that they can 't do the little things that good teams end up doing. And, and that's the difference between maybe five or ten wins over the course of a year. That little stuff, that moving the runner from second to third base, you know, with one out, and then the next guy hits the sacrifice fly to left field, and you score the run, and you win the game three to two instead of losing three to two in extra innings. Just... Hopefully they can get it worked out, because like I say, I'm a huge, huge fan, and I'd love nothing better to see the Brewers go far in the playoffs, but this team has been extremely frustrating to me. All right, I, I sent out a tweet about this on, on Thursday. The, the numbers came out after we had an opportunity to speak. Let me give you, the, I want to talk about Summerfest for a minute, and let, let me. I, I've got to give you the disclosure here. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know I'm a huge fan of Summerfest. I have been going to Summerfest pretty much since there was a Summerfest. You know, I I was there the night George Carlin was arrested for saying the seven words you can't say on TV. Or in Milwaukee in 1972, I was there the night of what they call the Humble Park riots. I, I the Humble Park, um, the Humble Pie riots. <laughs> I I was there that night. I, you know, and so I, I've seen the progression of Summerfest. I've seen the way the grounds have developed. I think it is great for the community, and I I I love going. I love the fact that we broadcast from there. I mean, this year. The new format, I I went down on my own time twice. I went to see the Rod Stewart show and my wife and a couple of our friends, Patty and Alan, came down um, that second Thursday. We just wandered around for a few hours. So, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I am a fan. On top of that, I am a fan of the people at Summerfest. Don Smiley I consider to be a personal friend. Many other people on the management staff, including Sarah, who's going to be taking over for Don. We, we go back a long, long way. We, we, we just do. On top of that, a number of members of the Summerfest board are close personal friends of mine. So I am invested in this. All right. With that background, though, um, the, they, they released the numbers, and the, the numbers are aren't great. I mean, here is here is the deal. This is the first year that Summerfest, in its traditional dates, went to the, the three-weekend format, the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Last year, they did it, of course, in September. They did the three-weekend f- format in September. Okay, so this year, their attendance, 445,000 people for 2022, that's up 8 It's up almost nine percent from 2021, but that's misleading. I mean, 2021 was very, very lightly attended. It was, it was, you know, in September, and there were all sorts of factors that were going on. And candidly, I expected—I'll be honest—I expected attendance to be up dramatically from 2021. So I I thought 445 thousand people was a, a disappointing number. And I don't take any pleasure in saying that, but I I did. Now, there were some factors that were kicking in. You had the the Justin Bieber concert, which was canceled um, at short notice, so it couldn't be replaced. So that was sold out, so, you know... 20 plus thousand people that would have been coming down that that friday night that would have been in the amphitheater they they weren't there you also had four or five other headline acts that ended up canceling because of covid at the last minute and things like that so they had to to jump around in addition we're not fully back from the pandemic yet i I understand many of us are trying our best to put the pandemic in the rearview mirror but i think Stuff is slowly coming back. I, I think it's coming back, but I think it's coming back slowly. But nevertheless, I think that four hundred forty-five thousand was disappointing. I, I don't know at the end of the day how the vendors felt. I mean, how what what their revenues were, and I know that that's going to be a, a big factor that that comes into play. You know, were the were the vendors happy with three weekends as opposed to a continuous two? Was were was it a profitable experience for them? And, I, and again, I, we don't know those numbers yet, or at least they're not publicly released. But I, I think it is fair to have this conversation about what's. I don't want to say what's wrong with Summerfest, because that's not fair. There's there's not a lot wrong with Summerfest. Summerfest is a wonderful experience, but moving forward, I think they've got to figure out ways to juice those numbers. I think that's a that's a low number, four hundred and forty five thousand. I think and I think the folks at Summerfest would tell you that they would you know they they would like to see it it higher I don't know how much higher but certainly higher so let's tee this up one segment 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line all right Summerfest 2022 is now in the books lots of factors that contributed to these numbers but what what, what does Summerfest need to do moving forward would you like to see it go back to the 11-day format that it had you know, or or is this the wave of the future? Does it just need more time to, to play out? We're never going to get back to those old days where you had a million people that were in attendance, nor should we. Because, you know, the way, you know, they got the million attendance was, you know, you'd have free admissions and you'd have, you know, a bunch of 17-year-old kids running around creating trouble and trying to drink beer and stuff. Those days are gone. The days where the grounds were just so absolutely crowded that you were in line for like, you know, 20 minutes to use the bathroom, that's not going to happen again, nor do I think they should. At the same time, you know, can you juice attendance and how do you do that? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hey, just for us, uh,
2: for us, the Summerfest thing has become uh, a little complicated. And this year, it was worse because of the, uh, the lack of uh, MTS buses, Milwaukee buses right. going from shuttle uh, parking lots and such. Um, we heard that it was totally cashless, so yep. we're, we're
0: seniors, so we, we kind of still uh, we prefer, we prefer to use cash. And, and, and frankly, it's gotten pretty pricey. I mean, the beer prices, the food prices, obviously, have gone up significantly. And uh, we just made the decision not to go because it was it was going to be an expensive day, and it was going to be difficult to get there and yeah. expensive to park. Yeah. And that's just kind of, kind of working. I no,
1: like that. no. Thanks for calling. You know, you 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 mentioned the prices, and um, I, okay. I, I said I, I went two days. I, I went to, and I th- this year just because I had all sorts of stuff going on, I I didn't hang around. Sometimes I will hang around for an hour and a half or so after the show. I didn't get a chance to do this, but we did. Um, you know, Fran and our, our friends came down one day, and we did. We, we went back. We were there on that Throwback Thursday when stuff was half price. And and actually, I thought that was a pretty good value. But I I have heard from a lot of people that they were kind of struck by how expensive stuff was. And look, I, I understand that, that that costs go up and things like that. But I am just saying that I and, and I had no problem on that throwback Thursday when stuff was half price. But I, I have heard from a lot of people that they were struck by what what the cost was for like beer, if you wanted to get a bottle of wine or or whatever. So, I mean, I think that that's that's a factor. You you've got to I mean, the vendors have to make their their money, but at the same time, you, you don't want to get into a situation where you're you're pricing people out. I do think the public transportation is a factor as well. Let's talk to Ryan. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hey,
2: good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Ryan. Hey, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head with the transportation. Uh, the freeway flyers, my memory were, were always packed. Uh, this year, though, parking was pretty prevalent down there. Uh, I sure missed the convenience of being able to jump on the bus, uh, yeah. hang out with a lot of like-minded people, and, and I just miss that. Uh, I do like the weekend format. You know, being from Jamesville, it's difficult to get down there on a weeknight to, right. and stay late. I uh, do like that, but... Yeah, I think the freeway fires was probably the biggest, uh, you know, detriment
1: to the pest. Yeah, and uh, thanks for calling. Of course, that was, I mean, Summerfest picked up and, and did run a bus service, um, but it, it wasn't as extensive. Jeff, uh, Colin makes a good point with cashless, much easier to do things with cash. Well, what is it, it, yeah, but it was about two weeks ago, I, I was, we, we did an entire topic after a conversation I had with a beer vendor at American Family Field who was, he caught my ear and knew who I was and wanted to see. He was just talking about how their, their revenues are down like 50% because it's just such a pain in the butt to, to go cashless. And I, I think that that's, you know, gotta, change. Jeff, thanks for bringing this up. I'm 44 and love music. I play in a band. I've played at Summerfest with my band many, many times. However, I don't have much interest in attending any longer. The new format is not conducive. I love going during the week to avoid the crowds, and I'm not subjecting my vehicle to theft and asking the safety factor. Um, Plus, some of the music just doesn't um, work well here, and it's too pricey. Um, But again, I kind of lump this into the category of, I, I think, the the concert season, I, I think it, we're not quite over the pandemic yet. And you look at a lot of places, and they're they're just not selling out. I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. He's playing at Alpine Valley this Saturday. I'm not going because I have an issue with Alpine Valley. But I know lots of friends are. There's still tickets available. You know, normally Buffett would would sell out. But I think that there, you know, people aren't back. I, I also, I mean, I, I do think what they they had the one Hard Rock show that that. I don't want to say nobody attended, but not that many people attended. Um, so that's a factor as well. Um, I think, you know, uh, some people are saying, well, they're reluctant to go to the city, um, reluctant to go downtown. I don't know. Um, I, again, I, I mean, the, the lots are secure and stuff. I didn't hear too many problems about that. There's a huge police presence. Jeff, the prices of beverages and food at Summerfest are out of control. I understand inflation, but this is um, absurd. Um, that's it. Jeff, I think many loyal Summerfest attendees are used to taking a week of vacation plus a day or two in order to be on the grounds just hanging out the entire run the past years. And now with the three weekend format, they either don't go or perhaps only attended one of the weekends or maybe only a day or two to see particular entertainers. Jeff, attendance is down 300,000 just in the last three years. Um, I believe this is self inflicted. Well, okay, again, there, there's two less days. Now, Summerfest, nine days versus 12, versus 11. I, I don't know how I feel about the. I think that to me, the jury is out on the three weekend thing. I, I will say this I understand the Summerfest thinking. The Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are the big days for attendance. So let's take advantage of it. And historically, you know, two Sundays. And, and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but particularly Sunday and Tuesdays haven't been that that great. So I understand the thinking. I, I will say, and this is different to, difficult to quantify, but as somebody who, who's down there on the weekdays and who works there, I think there's a momentum that exists when the festival is continuous, you know, and it's, you know, it's going to be 10 or 11 days versus the the three weekends. It just, it had a different feeling to me. And I, I don't know how you exactly quantify that. My guess is what's going to happen is they, and it's a guess. I, I don't know. My guess is they're going to try this format again next year when things are perhaps even closer back to normal and then probably make a decision about whether this makes sense or that makes sense. I mean, I think everybody everybody wants to do the right thing. Kathy. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Hi. Um, what do you think? I would like to see it go back to the 11-day format. Um, I, I'm retired and I don't care if the prices are high. That's just what life is about these days. But I always used to go, enjoy going during the week when the crowds weren't quite as um, excessive, mm-hmm. and where I I could wait in line for food for less than five or ten minutes and get something I wanted to eat or something I wanted to drink. I don't particularly enjoy the shoulder-to-shoulder. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Let me ask you: crowds. Did you go? Um, did so you, the, you go this year, Kathy?
0: No, I, I haven't gone since it's been okay. just on the weekends. I just prefer not to do that. Okay. But I would go if it was the 11-day format.
1: Okay, got it. Thanks. For, well, I mean, here, here's all I would say. I mean, again, it, I was down I, the two evenings I was there. I, there weren't shoulder-to-shoulder crowds. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the thing, it was empty. I don't mean to suggest that at all, but there there weren't. Long lines. It, it wasn't overwhelming. I mean, they drew four hundred forty-five thousand people over over nine days. You know, d- you know, do the math, and you know, you're not talking about hundred thousand people. You know, crammed into the grounds. You're talking about what's that? That's an average of about fifty thousand a night. And of course, I'm sure it was up for some and down for others. I I, I just I don't know what the answer is, and, and I think you know that the Summerfest officials need to have feedback because they they want to do the thing that's best. I thought this was going to work maybe better than it did. I think my guess is, like I said, I think they'll give it another year and then we'll see. (music) Jeff, my wife and I are in our 60s and we went three times to Summerfest this year, which we haven't done since we were in our 20s. However, besides the cancellations, which... I certainly hurt them. The three weekend format and the lack of freeway flyers helped cut attendance. That's Jim and Cedarburg. And you add into it the, the, the inflationary stuff. When you're paying four thirty or four fifty or five dollars a gallon for gasoline and you're looking at, you know, the the cost of everything that's skyrocketed. I, I think maybe that's taking some people who who might have been inclined to go to Summerfest you know, three times, and then they go once. Or somebody who might have been inclined to go to Summerfest five times, and they go twice. That's why I think this year is somewhat of an aberration. It's my guess, again, that they'll try this format again next year and then make some decisions, you know, based on on that. You want to give the new format a fair chance to see if it works or or it doesn't work. (laughs) Welcome back. Yeah, the stock market opened up. uh was up by 200-plus points, and now it's down 225 points. I think maybe it's inflation numbers that are kicking in, but the uh, stock market kind of all over. I, I was struck today i was looking at my calendar how quickly summer is getting away and it really i, I because as i mentioned earlier we're um our, our listener trip to alaska um, we leave two weeks from tomorrow and i'll be gone a, a, about a week um but that's that's going to be right at the height of of state fair um and, and of course state fair to me has always been one of the 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 sort of indicators that summer isn't over but it's getting closer to to the end and then kids start going back to school and things like that and all that's coming up the other thing that and this is charlie who's producing the show today and always you have to remind me of this if you're a regular listener of this show you know i i rarely do newsmaker interviews and just somewhere along the line And I know lots of talk show hosts do lots of interviews, and that's what the show is all about, and that's fine. For me, I decided a long time ago that... That in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, the newsmaker interviews kind of like slowed down the the program, and people were tuning in to interact with me and hear my take on stuff and react to that, and all. So I, I typically don't do that. Now I, I make certain exceptions, as I said. Tomorrow we're going to have U.S. Senator Ron Johnson on the program during the start at the start of the two o'clock hour. But I, I I was kind of looking at the calendar, and you know the the primary election is coming up. The the primary where Democrats will choose. Which candidate emerges to challenge Ron Johnson, and Republicans are going to choose which candidate emerges to challenge Tony Evers. That that's coming up. That's three weeks from tomorrow. It, it's August 9th, and like I say we're leaving for our cruise. It's a it's a week long. Well, I'll be. I think we leave on the second and come back. I'll be back by Thursday. The last couple of days of state fair. But I, I just I, I wanted. First of all, I was making a note to myself with all the things you have to do. It's like, okay, make sure when does early voting open, and we'll have to make sure we early vote. But in addition to that, it was like I want to – Make an exception to my typical rule of like not putting doing candidate interviews. And I I want to at least offer Becky Clayfish and uh, Tim Michaels an opportunity to come on the program and kind of set aside an hour for each one. So I'm like, I've had that at the back of my mind, but it's like, oh my gosh, that's that that's coming up. The election is three weeks from tomorrow. So Jeff, if you're going to try to offer candidates time to come on and discuss various issues, you better get off your butt and work it out. So that's that's my mission in the next day or so. But it is my intention to at least offer some a decent amount of airtime to both both of the major Republican candidates. Don't I don't think I'm going to do the third guy because he's, he's not going to win. That's just the, the reality. And I want to concentrate on who I perceive to be the major candidates, which are uh, Tim Michaels and Rebecca Clayfish. So I'm going to try to get that done and at least offer them the opportunity to come on and ask some questions. Because what I really want to do is I don't think ideologically there's much difference between the two. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm misreading this, but I don't think so. And I guess to me, one of the fundamental questions is which one has the best chance to beat Tony Evers if you're a Republican. I I want to explore all those things. So just to give you a kind of a heads up on where I'm I'm going. It is my intention to at least invite both of those candidates onto the program over the course of. About it. It's going to have to be in the next two weeks if we can pull it together. All right. There was intriguing. I, I was off Friday, and it was just a, it was a, I had worked the Juneteenth Day holiday. So I had a, a day coming and I took Friday off because I wanted it to be a three-day weekend. And my plan was a friend of mine had invited me out to a, a golf course, uh, his club, that I, I never played at the golf course. And he had put together a really interesting foursome. And I was very much looking forward to it. And then you wake up Friday morning and if you don't remember Friday, it was raining like Noah get ready to build a boat. And so we, we weren't able to play and so it turned into kind of a day of Jeff. And it was, it was all well and good. But I... I It's particularly scheduled this because I like, I mean, the three-day weekends are are just absolutely great. When I I got out of college in three and a half years, and when I came back here, I had nine months off between college and when I started Marquette Law School, and I, I went to work for... It was then Time Insurance downtown. It was like Fifth and Wells. I got I got a job there. They did great people. They were great. They they later on became Assurant, but at the time it was Time Insurance. And the the cool thing about uh, about the, the the company was they had summer hours, and what that meant was during the, the summer. You started like 15 minutes early. You worked an extra 15 minutes in the evening, and then they cut the lunch hours back on Monday through Thursday. But what it meant was Friday afternoons you had off. They they closed the offices Friday afternoon because a lot of the stuff was like dealing with like insurance agents across the country, and most of them weren't working Friday afternoon, so you didn't have to. But I absolutely loved it because, you know, back then we we. You know, a, a bunch of the guys, you'd play golf. You'd, you, you just, you, it was like almost having a, a three day weekend every week, you know, because your, your Friday started at, at noon. Well, there's a story, and I, I've always, I've always loved that. So it's always, you know, if I've ever had like a stray day or so, I've, I've always tried to schedule it, like take the Friday off to get the three day weekend. So here's a piece in the Washington Post. It's official. Fridays in the office are over. Um Haley LaFleur picked up a couple dozen donuts on the way to work. She forgot it was Friday. The surprise she'd planned for her colleagues turned out to be on her. The office was empty. Everyone else in the St. Louis investment firm where she works had decided to close out the week from home, which means she was at her desk with enough sugary fried dough to last her a month. She said, I don't even like donuts. As white collar workers around the country settle into hybrid work routines, one thing is becoming clear. Nobody wants to be in the office on Fridays. The last day of the work week, once synonymous with long lunches and early departures, has increasingly become a day to skip the office altogether. The trend, which was already brewing before the pandemic, has become widely adopted, even codified in recent months, and is creating new challenges for employers. Get, get this, just 30% of office workers swiped into work on Fridays in June, the least of any workday, that's compared to 41% on Mondays, the day with the second lowest turnouts, and 50% on, on Tuesdays. And then they go on to talk about how it's become a cultural norm. So as more people are being allowed to, you know, wor- work at home a, a day or so or, or whatever, or go to this hybrid thing, and they're given choice, nobody's coming in on Fridays. I mean, or at least it's not fair to say nobody, 70% of the workforce is choosing to stay home on Fridays. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the um, AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Is this, in fact, the new normal? And for all intents and purposes, you know, are Fridays in the office – going to be effectively canceled moving forward. And if you're given a choice, now I understand there's some people who, who don't have that, that choice. If you're, if you're in the service industry, for example, you, know, you, you don't have a choice about whether you're gonna work on Fridays. If you're an HVAC repair person, well, okay. You, know, you, you don't get the choice to say, I'm, I'm gonna work at home on Friday. No, you're out there, they're doing the stuff. But for office workers who have the choice They are apparently saying, you know, we don't want want to work on Fridays. Is this, in fact, going to be the new norm? And is this how you feel about it? I mean, if if you had a choice of being able to work at home at least one day a week, is Friday going to be that day? And is this number where 70 percent of people who have the option are choosing that Friday's the day they're not coming in? Is that Is that going to grow? Is that going to be 75? Is it going to be 80%? Is there going to be nobody in an office on Friday? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. I mean, I think these numbers are staggering. Uh, Of... uh, and it might be imprecise, but it tells me it's probably true. Of companies that give people the option for hybrid work and stuff, they're saying that 70% of people choose Fridays. If you have at least one day that you don't have to be in the office, 70%, that's 70%, 7 out of 10 choose Friday. Now I understand that, but the question's gonna be, does this How does this impact, you know, businesses moving forward? Are we going to get to a point where we've really effectively gone to at least a four day in person? You know, work week. Jeff, I currently work remotely on Fridays, but I may rethink it and use one of my on-site days now since it will likely be quieter and the traffic to work might be better as well. Well, the traffic to work might be um, debt. Jeff, Friday's off, how sweet that would have been. I'm retired now, but over a 45 year working career, I probably work at least part of the day for nearly half of the Saturdays. Yeah, that's it. Jeff, heck yes, who's gonna go in on Friday when they don't have to? By the way, I love your show. Well, I love the fact that you're listening and participating as well. Jeff, Fridays are off or, or Fridays off are great. I'm self-employed. I choose to work four 10-hour days Monday through fir- Thursday. Taking Fridays off is great. Jeff, my company allows summer hours through Labor Day. We leave at 1130. I work uh, 730 to 5 all week, even on Fridays. Um, but on Fridays, it seems that absolutely nobody comes in. Yeah, that's it. So, see, employers are trying all sorts of ways to kind of, like, bribe people in. The story I'm looking at in the Washington Post. Executives at Bolt, a checkout technology company in San Francisco, began experimenting with no-work Fridays last summer and quickly realized that they'd hit a winning formula. Employees were more productive than before and came back to work on Mondays with new enthusiasm. In January, it switched to a four-day work week for good. Then the story goes on to talk about how other employers, in an effort to try to entice their workers to come in that they're offering all sorts of things on fridays like hey we'll, we'll have the food trucks outside the building and stuff like that it, it is in fact a challenge and fridays are different if you if you listen to my program the friday shows are always a little bit different that we, we do our pop culture corner figure feature in the the 230 hour because i want to lighten it up and fridays are a little bit dif- different they start off with Maybe some heavier stuff, and I try to get a little bit lighter because I think a lot of times people are maybe sort of punched out or you're thinking about the weekend, but I, I think this is going to be a heck of a trend, and I think for employers who need people in the office physically – but yet still want to work around this hybrid work model, I think it's going to be a heck of a challenge for how they're going to be able to convince people that, okay, you know, you you can have a four-day work week, but, you know, we want one of those days to include a Friday.